What is up, you beautiful people? Welcome back to the Built Up Bitcoin podcast, where I try to talk to all the best Bitcoin builders actually building cool stuff on top of Bitcoin. I am your host, Jacob Brown, and today I have a fantastic conversation with Lisa Nagat. You might know her as Nifty Nay on Twitter. She is the co-founder of Base58, the Bitcoin education platform, as well as the organizer of the BTC++ Bitcoin developer-focused conferences. And I had to get on the podcast after attending the BTC++ that was recently in Austin, Texas, which I had a fantastic time. I cannot recommend them highly enough, especially if you're a builder or you want to be like get the highest signal of where Bitcoin is going by the people actually creating those features and applications that we're all going to use in 6, 12, 18 months. So we cover a lot in this episode. She has a background as a developer in the Web2 world and then moved over into mobile for a little bit before finally ending up on Bitcoin with somewhat of a focus on Lightning. So we talk about the education state of Bitcoin and like where are the biggest gaps uh, what's it like trying to learn Bitcoin compared to different languages? Um, and the opportunity that exists because so few people really want to get in the weeds with Bitcoin, there's a severe lack of Bitcoin developers. And so if you apply yourself in a smaller niche, you can actually accelerate very fast to be proficient and useful uh, in the state and be able to go and maybe apply for a company. Versus if you were going for, say, like something like a front-end engineer job. So I found that super interesting. We're talking about what she does over at Base58 to educate the masses and teach them proper Bitcoin fundamentals. We talk about women in tech, which is a topic that I care about as a VC, where I'm always trying to find the best founders. But you don't see many female founders. And so I was curious why she thought that is. And we kind of explore that topic a bit and a bunch of other topics. So I won't ramble on any further. Highly recommend. I think you're going to enjoy this one with Lisa Nygut, the co-founder of Base58 and BTC++. Welcome to Built on Bitcoin. Lisa, how are you today? Hey, doing good, Jake. Glad to have you on. Yeah, not sure where to start. I guess just a, a quick preamble. Like, we were talking before this, and I was telling you about, like, how my backstory of how I got into Stacks and Bitcoin through, like, a roundabout way. And going to BTC++ was eye-opening for me because there's a whole community of, like, tight-knit Bitcoiners that I have not been a part of, was not aware of at all. Um... And online, you know, stuff happens. We exchange words, whatever. But in person, everyone's always like, "We're here to, we're here to, you know, make Bitcoin flourish." So it was super great. First of all, great, amazing conference. Props to you, and you're a fantastic teacher. I took your, your little lightning, or it was like converting from hex to something or other. Oh, yeah. Uh, so that was great. Yeah. So I think this one will be interesting. It's, this is more of like a caveat for my audience that like the bubble that we all exist in is not Bitcoin. And there's tons of dope people like in the broader uh, broader sphere. So this is what's exciting for me. I guess just to jump off, I'm going to try with a different question. I don't usually ask this question, but whether it's Bitcoin or just something you read more generally, you know, I've been, I've been watching your replies on Twitter and you have some like interesting topics about like John Verveke and like yin and yang and like efficiency and redundancy, like very interesting topics, things that I love. So just a rent, like super broad, but what, what are you most fascinated by now, like right now by? Yeah, that's a really great question. Okay. So like, there's a couple, I'm like, I think, I think the like, best way to like kind of understand myself is like, I'm sort of like, like the big, like intelligentsia nerd, right? Like I like just knowing about like all the like kind of cool, interesting and philosophy things coming out wherever, um. Okay, my, like, current, like, obsession is going to sound weird. It is, like, the thing that I can't stop thinking about and, like, what I do a lot of writing on is, like, just sort of, like, gender roles and, like, how 
like that like a values-based understanding of like how the life experience is different depending on what your gender is which i like totally feel like is like a little taboo right now um i feel like like depending on what like political circle you end up on so i don't really talk about that like a lot um but it's kind of where like that yin yang sort of like comment comes from <laughs> like the one that you saw about the yin yang thing um right it's like it's just my brain is just kind of constantly thinking through that and then a lot of reasons for that like i've been working in tech for over a decade tech is like a pretty masculine like field right it's like a very masculine energy field like a lot of the things that people get hyped and excited about like i guess it's like one of those things i feel like a stranger in a strange land sometimes if that makes sense like Sometimes it's like, okay, I've like wandered into this ecosystem because I like really like information. Um, and I really wanted to know like what, you know, what is like the computer thing about? Like, I know Bitcoin is like, what is that Bitcoin thing about? Right. And it's sort of like a little bit like, I would say almost like the like fancy word for it, I think is myopic, which means like short sighted. Like, I'm only really just looking at the things I'm interested in. So it's almost like kind of like, I guess, like, is it, is it like the, you know, when Elmer Fudd is like chasing like the rabbit around who like he'll have his nose on the ground, like solving a thing. And then he ends up somewhere and he looks up and he's like, where the heck did I end up, you know, like, walked up a cliff or something, right? Um, like, so like, I feel like I've kind of just been following my own curiosity for like a long time and sort of like looked up and have been like, wait, there's like all these sort of like social dynamics going on and like, why are other people here? I know I'm here because I got interested in this little rabbit hole thing, but like not everyone and like has that story. Like, so why are people doing what they're doing in like the tech industry or the Bitcoin and the crypto industry? Like what kind of like value systems mean? Like what in this industry gets attention and gets money and gets like people really excited? Like why is the hype around? What kind of like objects are those? Um, what about those objects makes them exciting people? And like, how does that relate back to like their value system of like what they value, right? Okay, so that's like sort of very, I'm a very philosophical person, maybe is like the short way of saying that. Um, and I kind of feel like some of that to some extent, sometimes those hype cycles and stuff really do sort of start pulling back to these sort of like larger archetypes of like what gender roles are like interested in into and like how like maybe like, you know, gender roles are like sort of like a, there's sort of this like I just had a long form blog post that I put out on this this week where it's like sort of this rambling thing about like the standard contract of like negotiation between people who have different wants or like values like like buying and selling a house is like so okay I'm like I need to cut this off but like the buying and selling a house you have like standard contracts in Texas like if you want to buy and sell a house in Texas and you're using a real estate agent you have to use this like state like state approved like contract for buying and selling a house right which makes sense like in new york state by for like the counter example in new york state if you want to buy and sell a house you hire an attorney and you hire an attorney and a real estate agent because they don't have like a standard contract so that like adds so much extra expense and like difficulty in negotiating like you know like buying and selling a house you both want things you both kind of want to end up with different things at the end of it um anyway so it's kind of just like okay how do we like where do values come from Maybe part of those values come from like your gendered experience, whatever that means. Um, mm -hmm. So like, what is the standard contract around gender? Or like, how does like your life experience as a particular like gender like change what gets focused in your life sort of thing? Okay, yeah, that's yeah, that's my that's my current philosophical like obsession. That's <laughs> that's such we opened such a can of worms. I know. Um, also. That was such a good tangent, but I have to break this for a second because somehow I started the Zoom on the wrong account, so I had like the free timer ticking at me right now. Okay. So I'm going to end this real quick, get on my right account, and I'll send you the link on Twitter, and then we'll jump right back in. So hold, hold the frame. Uh, we're going we're gonna to continue this with, with gender rules and whatnot. I'll be right back. Yeah. Let's keep, let's see if we can keep the energy. Um, yeah. It's one of those, one of those days. Okay. So, um, yeah, I might just keep that in there just, just so the flow feels more natural. So people just got to see all the, what a professional podcast looked like. But uh, you opened a crazy can of worms. So so the gen the general thing, I'm super fascinated by it for a bunch of reasons. I, My dad passed when I was younger, so I was raised by my mom. And I always felt more feminine energy compared to the average male. So 
to me, that was like, there's definitely a culture component, even though people say it's biological based. Um, but when I started doing research, like the line between what's biology and what's nature is super hard to tell, especially in the weeds when it comes to like a bunch of topics. And they try and they try and do research on like, are women more submissive by nature? Is it culture? All these different topics. Um, but one that it's like practical in tech and it's something I think about when, when I'm not doing this podcast, I work at a venture firm is women in tech. Like I don't see many women, women founders at all. Um, and when I do see them, like I have, I have female coworkers and they'll, they'll say jokes like, you know, this cohort's a sausage fest and stuff like that. And it's like tongue in cheek, but it speaks to something deeper, which is like, this doesn't have to be this way or why is it this way? Right. Um, so, so I'm curious of your take on the women in tech when you're, you got here through just following the curiosity. So it's almost by happenstance, if you will. Um, and so there's something else, which is like the, you know, the, the gender inclusion thing, which is like quotas. So there's like, there's, there's brackets here. Like you can, you can over-optimize. So what's your pulse on women in tech? Kind of like, I'm not even sure what question to ask, but you can just riff on like any thoughts you have on that. Yeah. I mean, I think it goes back to like, I think like, Part of the difficulty of being like a femme character, let's say that in tech, is that like these are my experience. Like the things I care about and the things that I think are valuable, worth thinking about, and like spending time on, and like how I sort of like process and move through the world is like just seems like a little different than like the people I'm like interacting with. And so like I feel like sometimes it's just as simple as like. Like, I just, like, won't, it won't occur to me that, like, I should be, like, th there's, like, other aspects of, like, what I could be working on or how I'm presenting myself that, like, might make what I'm working on more useful or more visible or more easy to understand to, like, other people in the room, right? Like, you know, like, from, like, a why aren't there as many companies? And it could be, like, you know, I think why are there as many organizations that get funded or, like, startups, you know, that are, like, founded by women, I think, like, I think mean, there's, like, two sides of that. Like, I think one side is, like, the people who are making the investment decisions, their values, I think they tend to be more men making decisions about how to allocate capital. And I think that, like, in general, their their own value systems about what they think is important and where their hype is and what they think, like, is going to be a good investment or, like, you know, sometimes, like, making decisions about money and where to spend your time and energy isn't really like as rational as you would think it is like you would think someone who holds money like where they want their money to go would be the place that sends them back the most money and that you would just like have all the opportunities to like impersonally rank them all based on like returns right and then like you would pick the top three or whatever like that's like how you think these things go but my like understanding of humans is that that's not how we make decisions a lot of really good ideas don't get funded doesn't matter who's running them like guy or girl right and there's a lot more around like where people make decisions about how to invest like money time you know resources like money or time or like support even isn't necessarily like what's going to be the best return on that usually you kind of end up on like what is the value is the person making the investment um and that's where I think it kind of goes to like, like it's like, you know, maybe I'm not super excited about like, uh, I'm just going to say it, like the security side of things, like keeping things super locked down or like protected. Like a, there's like almost like a, like a protection side of things. I don't really like, I, you know, I feel like at this point it's like sort of start tracking stereotypes to give specific examples, which is like, what do you, what do you, like, when you, sorry to cut you off, but when you say security, what do you, what do you mean in this context? Yeah, I feel like, I think this is where, yeah, this is where I feel like it's like not dangerous, but you start walking on the nice because people will be like, I don't like, that's not me. I don't like live up to that like value. Um, but I guess like one example is like, um, uh, I don't know. I feel like in, in general, I think you can kind of see men get way more interested and in really understand the value of like protection and security and like, having i mean that's like, women also do this too right like they want their houses to be like secure and like no one be able to get in and like attack them or when they're out at night they want to feel secure right um but from like an investment perspective i feel like you know if someone comes up with like a new way of making sure that like um i don't know like your coins are like super protected or whatever um 
I feel like that sort of thing, like that sort of thinking around protection and how to protect, isn't it like, not to say that women don't think that way, but I feel like it's a thing that more men spend more time thinking about. Like, I've just seen this in like, you know, I'm from Texas, so maybe this is like Texan for you also. So maybe I'm also speaking from like cultural upbringing, as you were saying, which like, you know, the cultural thing, like really what I'm trying to get at is values, right? Because I think values are how you like move people forward. And if you can speak to someone's values, you can like figure out how to communicate with them in a way that like helps you both get kind of where you're going, like kind of almost from like a sales perspective. So like in general, like, you know, all the guys in my family own guns. None of the women in my family do. Um, like, could I own a gun? Have I shot guns? Yes. Is it something that I particularly think is important for me to own? Like, clearly not, right? So who's going to like, so if these, if my, you know, if my family goes to like a, um, a gun convention, who's likely to be spending their money there? You know what I mean? Like, it's like the values of where people spend their money kind of fall under what they value and like, I've seen at least amongst like my family members, like, you know, the guys in my family value owning guns over and above the women in my family. So like if my if my brother and my dad were like VCs and they're investing in something that they like care about that follows their values, right? And you came up with like new kind of like 3D printed gun tech, for example, as like the project you're gonna launch, like, yeah, my brother and my dad would probably invest in that, right? The women in my family, probably not, right? Like, um, the rest of us are just going to be like, all right, I guess that's nice. Like, I don't care about it enough to give you money. And that's just, like, one example, right? So I guess, like, I'm saying, like, you know, like, like people invest and spend their money along where their values fall. I guess it's, like, an uncontroversial statement. The part that gets controversial is where you start being like, well, that classifying, like, this group of people tends to value this thing more because of X, Y, Z reason. And I think then you start getting into, like, places where it's easier for people to be like well i'm not like that therefore this like whole thing is incorrect um and i'm like okay like maybe it's not true for you but like and there's like general patterns you can kind of start picking out right and then that's kind of where like earlier i was talking about that like idea of a sender contract like i think the thing about like traditional gender roles is that like if you think about like like you know the femme and masculine side of society for like generations now having to having like one if you if you accept one that for like as long as humans have been around the values of each of those sides of like humanity has um each of those different sides of humanity has had like a different things that they care about like as a value sort of like generally speaking right and then over like, you know, eons now, those two sides of humanity have had to figure out how to negotiate what they need from each other as like a way of working together in order to keep humanity moving forward, right? Um, after like, you know, like eons of those sorts of interactions and like lots of different cultures, right? So like every culture, of course, will have different ways that they like what the standard contract they've kind of come up with as like a society, right? Because these are also like society level group, cultural, whatever we want to call culture things, right? Um, but that was probably like a pretty standard understanding of how like those two like yin and yang sides like interact and negotiate getting their different value systems and having their different value systems be understood by like a party that doesn't natively have the experiences that help them understand where those values come from, right? Like it's kind of like like my like experiences and or my values to some extent come from what I experience and my experiences and understanding of the world are just like slightly different. Um, and so like you kind of need a way to like negotiate that. Anyway, so it's like just like kind of the standard contract and like the way that we call it is gender roles. And I was like, okay, like these standard contracts exist. Some places like Texas, the standard contract, there's one and you must use it, you know, um, like, you know, in the real estate like ecosystem. Um, if you want to do something different than the standard contract, that's fine. You just can't use the licensed realtor um, because the licensed realtor just have to use the standard contract. So it's like, okay, you can go off script, so to speak, in any negotiation. That's allowed. But, like, you're probably going to have, like, way more conversation that you have to have around it. Like, it's probably useful to understand within the standard contracts. So you know, like, how you're different from it, you know, in terms of negotiation. Um, maybe you have to hire an attorney to like make sure that both parties are communicating like what they need want so that you end up like getting all of your values met, whatever. Anyways, yeah, this is what I've been thinking about obsession wise around like <laughs> um like how bad yeah. 
No, this is great. I, I have some thoughts. And uh, yeah, I think the gender norms one is big. There's definitely like a, most people aren't explicit when it comes to these ideas. Like they won't say like, I don't hire women or women are, are bad at X, Y, Z thing. It's more of like for the investor side, it's like we need a founder to be a salesman, a salesman for engineers, a salesman for fundraising, a salesman for talent, a salesman for getting users. And if you're not aware of your bias, you can write a woman off as not a good fit because of things like say she's not going to be aggressive enough to go out and get the whatever or she can't sell to whatever. So that's like in your mind, you think you're just making a rational decision like she's not a good fit. But it could be a subconscious bias of your gender norms of like men are good at this, women are naturally good at that, that kind of thing. And I think you're like basically like pitching to the standard contract, right? Like what the standard right. understanding is of like the trade-offs between like what genders the gender ishness of on right and and that's my question that's my next question with like women in tech is that i think my my thesis is gender norms come from one culture obviously but it's it comes from things being re reinforced so like you you do some action and you either get punished or reinforced for it and like one example you see with uh children's studies is like the words parents use whether it's like outcome based like you did great versus like you put in a lot of effort. If you say the second one, it's more of an indicator of success because you're, you're basically it's something you can control and it becomes the flywheel that effort leads to success, Which, but it's the effort that's the thing and the effort is becomes the thing versus like if you get rewarded for that outcome, then you can cheat and still get the reward and you didn't actually do the real work. And so these like subtle word choice things become reinforcements that then become the norms and it's so okay cool i'm a protector because this so i go learn to fight or i get a gun or whatever it is um so i'm curious when it comes thinking through that framework of like reinforcement learning if you will yeah is there something we could do practically and it can you maybe you can use it maybe for me as an investor or just society more broadly to get more women in tech like, is there things that we could do practically? I mean, I think it's just like valuing whatever it is in the like, okay, so we've just say like, let's just assume we can't escape the standard contract. And that like, for whatever reason that like, the let's just say that the general idea, like, you know, and it's kind of like, and like, let's like, let's not be like super revolutionary. We're not going to change anything. Let's just like assume that status quo, status quo, right? Like, what can we do? How can we change our thinking about the way things are? Since that like maybe making an investment decision in a woman, like a project that a woman is leading makes more sense because it fits some sort of like value recognition you're able to make. Like there's some now some like value pattern matching you're able to make as an investor. Whereas before, like, okay, you're like trying to be like, okay, well, they're, they don't have like the salesman-esque vibe that I usually find in like the male founders, right? Like as an example, I think that like, I think the way that you like I think I think probably one of the more powerful ways to like kind of not overcome that, but at least maybe start changing the way that you think about investing is by wanting to invest in whatever it is that like maybe is like the feminine side of being a good salesman. So like maybe that looks maybe that like just deciding that like whatever the fem values are, like the whatever like the values and like talents that sounds weird, but like just like the general behaviors that like women tend to be good at pulling off being able to spot those in women, like women that are really good at those sorts of things. And then being like, okay, that's a good reason to invest in that person. So it's not like I'm trying to make them more into more of the salesman thing that I'm used to seeing in like the, the male founded side. It's like, what are the like skills and roles that you can like, you see in women that you learn? I think it's just learning to value like the strengths that women bring that like are maybe outside of what you normally see in like a masculine candidate. So like a good example I think of this is like so the Barbie movie, right? The Barbie movie is like arguably one of the biggest successes this summer in terms of um of blockbuster stuff, right? Like I, it's gonna like they're breaking a billion dollars, right? Like they're basically I think their budget was three hundred million. They're like basically gonna three X that at least in like maybe I don't know opening weekend, but they're like doing awesome, right? It's a huge amazing project, and so it's kind of just like. Someone tweeted, and I thought it was really interesting, that, like, Margot Robbie is, like, the main star, right? But apparently she's also the woman that, like, pitched the project, found the funding for it, 
like put all the pieces together, like went and found Greta Gerwig to be the director. Like Margot Robbie, like actually was the coordinator, like kind of this conductor person behind the scenes that got all the right pieces in the right place to be able to like make the space available to like make the movie happen, right? And so like I kind of think like, I don't know, just one thing that I think I've seen women do that I haven't been seeing men do as well in like the same way is sort of like kind of making spaces for stuff to happen is like sort of I think like a really what I would see is like definitely like maybe a little more I mean not to say that anyone can't do that and I've definitely seen like anyone you know any maybe this isn't like a men or a woman thing but anyone who's a a bit able and has the skills of being able to like pull the right people together and kind of like make all the right people end up in the right room like that's probably something worth investing in right like whether that's like a guy or a girl but maybe that's not like this marketing ability that's like easier to like read off of like someone that you meet that sort of thing so i think it's like really just like changing like changing the the perspective around as an investor what you're looking for to put money into like what kind of skill sets like have you seen someone like pull out or like execute that you're like oh this person is good at like you know like margo like she's clearly really good at like putting all the right people together to like pull, pull something off like that but, I know. got it no it's helpful i like it changing your frame could be powerful and i'll definitely have to ping you offline for like these fan values because i i don't even know what that means i have, I have some intuitions but i'll have to ask directly but before we talk all day about this kind of like sociology kind of like topics i want to take a hard left turn and move into the bitcoin and dev topic so yeah. Um, yeah, so I think, let's see, where do I want to start? I guess let's jump into, maybe briefly, what is your background? Yeah, so my background is, I originally started, I started programming in my mid-20s. I did like a couple classes in college, but ended up going to this thing called hacker school in New York City for three months in like my mid-20s and then got a job working as an Android engineer for about half a decade. So I'm actually like a, a mobile phone engineer like app writing for like five years um, before I found Bitcoin as like a thing. Um, I've always kind of been like cryptocurrency and distributed systems curious. Like I found that stuff really interesting, but like... I just sort of needed like a someone to like invite me to like spend time with it, if that makes sense. Like I needed someone to be like, okay, like this is your job now, Lisa. Like figure out how Bitcoin works. And be like, okay, great. Like super excited about it, but it wasn't something I like knew or thought to like spend time investigating really closely on my own and getting involved in. Like I just kind of was like, I don't know, if this is the thing I should spend time on. I don't know, it's hard to explain. Um yeah, so like my background was mobile bo- mobile dev development, and before I got into mobile dev, I did like some of my first jobs were doing a lot of like CSS kind of like front end things, and then I was like, I want to be a systems engineer and do distributed computing and like hardcore tech stuff. So that's yeah, that's kind of where I am now. Got it. So so it sounds like you went through a boot camp, which I've I've probably spent two hundred hours at this point learning the code, mostly front end. Um, still terrible at coding. Um, and you you definitely hear online, like there's some people that love boot camps and some people that hate them. Like they just throw too much out too fast and they don't really try out good good devs. Uh, but it sounds like your experience was like go into boot camp and then just kind of like followed your curiosity after the fact. So like the boot camp I went to wasn't actually a boot camp. It was really like three months of work on whatever you want to and follow your own curiosity and work on your own projects. There weren't any classes. There weren't any teachers. There weren't any instruction. There weren't any like classes. Like it was all just like I had a project I was working on, which was an Android app already. So I was like self-taught mostly. And then like while I was in class, I like read some really good books. I did some like online classes. Um, I did a really amazing like algorithms class from Tim Ruckgarden who's like super famous in the Ethereum world now, which is really fun. Um, but like, uh, yeah, so I like, I'm mostly, mostly self-taught though, like self-taught in the like aspect of like, I didn't do like a formal coding program. I just kind of took some classes and like, I'm big, like 
you know, like, I think it's true to get into programming. You kind of do need a side project or something you're hacking on. That's like, if you're new, especially like contributing to open source is like horrible and terrible as it is. Like, it's horrible and terrible because like, there's like, a, I think it's a pretty kind of highest bar to like find a project, figure out how to get yourself set up. Like, if you don't know anything, how are you supposed to like figure out how to like be helpful and useful? But having like a side project, maybe one that is just like satisfying your own curiosity, even if it's like terrible, like hacker, like, you know, newbie beginning, like side project thing. That's like really useful, I think, for people to understand like what you're interested in, what you're like capable of, like kind of demonstrating that you like exist as a coder and like are putting stuff out into the world. Um, so I had a couple of projects I think that were pretty key throughout my career that were side projects I was hacking on for fun that were, I think, really game changers in terms of like opening doors for me. Um, so like, yeah, like doing like doing side project stuff like throughout your career is like kind of murder in terms of time, I think, because um, like ideally you're like working a job and you have to go like work on this side project and your free time. Like, how does that work? Um, but I think like for anyone who like really wants to like grow as a programmer and like really get other people to like invest in your growth as a programmer but like hiring you to do jobs maybe you're not quite at the level to do yet you know because like grow into things having little like side projects and like sort of portfolio that you can point out is like really important like so like in order to get my etsy job i basically had to like write my, i had to i wrote an etsy app over like a weekend for my interview and like like it wasn't anything fancy, but it was like kind of cute and had some like like interesting things in it and like demonstrated I could like do certain things, right? And then when I went to the interview, I got to like show it off and like and that made like a really big difference in terms of opening the door for me that wouldn't have been there otherwise. Um anyways, so Yeah. No, it makes sense. I mean, I definitely I could definitely see the value of having a side project. There's so many edge cases you're gonna have to like upload to this or SSH into whatever or you have some weird issue or your package isn't updated or whatever it is and uh, you're forced in like an unstructured way to solve it but definitely for me the whenever I bump up against a wall my default is to go back to the structure like almost like a safe space where it's like let me go back onto the track of getting to 100k you know, this job it's in the future um, when right now I'm just like my computer's yelling at me and it's not working and this is frustrating. Um, okay. So I don't know. This is, it's, it's a powerful frame. So I'm, I'm really just trying to put a pin in it of like the, the muck you're feeling, like that's what the work feels like. Because it sounds like a lot of de- dead work is really that, especially when you're at the bleeding edge. It's like you have an issue, you bang your head against the wall, you make progress and repeat like is that kind of the gist yeah so I mean like I've been I feel like I started in my dev career late enough that I feel like I have like I have like a lot of like crystallized memories of like what all the different phases felt like if that makes sense and like what sort of open doors as I like got better at it so it's been slow like teaching yourself is like not the fastest way to get to anything like Unfortunately, I don't think anyone can teach me anything. I think I'm one of those, like, like, extremely, like, I'm super gifted and that, like, I can learn stuff really fast on my own and I can learn things by myself. But, like, the other side of that is, like, no one can tell me anything. Um, but, like, anyways, like, I think, like, what you're describing is, like, like early in your career, it's, like, very frustrating because nothing that you try works. So, like, you can just waste so much time trying to, like, a thing you want to accomplish, right? Usually. And, like, it's, like, not about what you're trying you're like don't understand what's so like you, there's a lack of understanding of what the existing system is doing and that makes it so frustrating because nothing you're just like guessing it like how to like how do i make this thing do what i want it to do maybe that's like changing a dns name so you can get your like website up on the right whatever or maybe that's like um figuring out like all the like and it's so complicated there's all this complicated stuff around it that like only real experts really understand why it's there and like so you're like trying to navigate like i don't know if you've done web dev stuff like the thing that like i always like run up against i'm like how is any newbie supposed to figure this out it's like the cross origin site stuff like tours stuff i feel like pops up for like https like tls certs that like you know you're like you've got this great little project and you just want to get it out there so people can see it and then you start running into like all this like 
all the, you don't want to have to learn to like get your project done. Right. And it's like, man, like, why is this like, like I can do like X, Y, I can do like one little thing, but like programming sort of requires you to suddenly know, like be an expert in like all this other stuff. And you're like, I just want to get my project out so people can see it. And like, you run into like, like, I guess it's like, there's just like pits everywhere of like not knowing how systems work. And so you constantly find yourself running up against new systems that you like don't have the mental bandwidth to want to figure out currently. Or like maybe you're in a system that you're still learning and it's that pitfall that you keep falling into that you kind of have to like figure out how to get help or like, it's like, you don't even want to like, you're just trying to get everything done and you like keep running into all this stuff. Okay. I don't think that ever changes. But eventually, if you're in it for long enough, you start knowing where all the pitfalls are, what you can ignore, what you can't ignore, like how to get help. Like, um, and so working at a big company as an early engineer with like a big software team, it's like probably so like working at Etsy is my first job, I think was actually really great because it was sort of like a sort of safe little container that I could like learn and get really good at like the Android app stuff. But like whenever I ran into problems, I could like go find someone to help unstick the thing, right? So there were like lots of pitfalls, but there was an expert that was like attached to that like pitfall everywhere around me, right? So like when I ran into a problem, I could like the person to help me out was like right there. Um, and then like, so you kind of like have help, like you're not on your own in terms of trying to get the project out. So like side projects are good because they force you to like find pitfalls and like figure out what you're good at and what's hard. Being in a big or engineering organization, especially like with a like junior early career, and you can convince them to hire you is really amazing because you get to, I feel like it really levels up like your exposure to like all the different things that could happen and what people like are good at um, and makes you like faster in terms of like unsticking your own problems, if that makes sense. I don't know. Okay. I, I talked a lot around. Got it. Uh, I mean, you're making my job very easy. So thank you for that. Um, also, it's funny that you say you're you learn quickly, but you can't be taught. But you're a great teacher. Like that triangle is hilarious to me. Um, but I'm curious about. So, like, I I got here via want to become a dev. End up doing a podcast. Now I work at VC, so we're we're in path. But um, I remember the feeling when I started, where I was like, I believe I can do it. I never really worked. I always loved tech. Never thought I could work in tech. It was like a, a self-limiting belief thing. And it wasn't until I got started that I started to see opportunities kind of pop up. But at least for me, like I have to experience it first before I can have the confidence and like let it stack. And so I know there's so many people that listen to this that will tell me like, I want to change careers. I want to work in Bitcoin more because it's XYZ. It's all I think about. And for specifically for the dev experience, like one that's really hard to grasp is the engineering mindset. Like even yeah. something basic, like how parameters get passed into functions, now they can call back on other things. It takes so long to grok before you can start like getting some speed. And I think people have, I think newbies have the assumption that coding is hard, Bitcoin's extra hard. And I'm, I'm that's curious true. if. I, I, that's my question is like, do you think that you can go from zero and it, it's it's on your website, so clearly you agree to go from zero to high yeah. ten hero? Like, is that true? Yeah, this is a great question. Okay, so I think that if you get into like, so basically eight, we've got like our first class, like the first class up until like literally two weeks ago, the only class you could teach through base of eight is something that we're calling the Bitcoin developer basics. Um. It's really like, it's a super hands-on class, which I love about it. One of my friends said it's like super, one of my friends is taking it and then like another class that like um, someone else offers that kind of covers similar material. And he's like, it's very technical in terms of like, you're dealing with what I would call like very core aspects of computing, like bytes, how you write bytes. So you took my class on like how protocols work. Like you have a number, you need a way to write it as bytes so the computer can have it in memory. You send the bytes to someone else and then they like unpack it into like a number that humans can read, right? Like that, like that task is like very core to anything that computers do at like a low level, right? So that like simple task of like something a human can read 
translate it into bytes and then untranslate it. So like mine, the Bitcoin developers class really deals a lot with bytes, right? A lot of data. It's data and it's how it's encoded. Like how is it written such that like a computer can understand it? So I would say that that's like a very core aspect of understanding like the work that computers do. Um, so like that's kind of like, I think like the underlying basic building block of the class. In class itself, like we don't really do a lot of programming. Like there's no loops, there's no function definitions. Like we use Python, but we use Python as like a calculator. Like I have some data and I need to turn it into like a hash. I need a hashing function. I need something that can make hashes. I give it data and it makes a hash, right? Turns out Python can do this in like one line, right? Like you don't have to write Python code to like do these things, but you just need like a little tool. It's like opening up your calculator on your computer, right? We just open up Python as our little calculator, like use it to calculate things. Um, so like it's it's like I think it's a developer basics class. Like we 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 look at bytes, we look at data, we use some basic math. And we use Python as our calculator to like do the basic math. But like it's very like it's very like from the ground up, like first principles basics of like what is in a Bitcoin transaction. Um, and I like to think that like yeah, anyone can understand that. I think it's hard though because everything is written in bytes, and we're looking at bytes, and you have to like have this understanding that like bytes are data that you can, you can like, you have to make like this translation between the byte format and the readable human format, right? But it's really like, um, it's really like a data and like understanding like what is in like this, like, you know, like form, like you go to the DMV and you fill out a form, like a Bitcoin transaction is literally just that. Um, so like, I think it's like, so yeah, okay. So like, I, like, I, I do think, and I had someone who came through one of my lightning classes and the first ever lightning class was two weeks ago. So our first ever like not Bitcoin developer basics class happened two week, weeks ago in Nashville. We had six people come through. One of them just so happened, and I didn't know this until like halfway through the class, he starts telling us his story, which is that he had never done any programming before and signed up for our online six week basics developer basics class, not knowing how to program. Um, he got a lot of help from Cody and TA sessions to like be able to do the exercises. And he said it was really hard. And it's really hard because the level of stuff he has to learn is just higher than people already understand how bytes work and encodings work, right? Like you already understand that. It's a much it's an easier class, but if you don't understand that, you have to learn that and then you have to learn everything else on top of it, like all the Bitcoin stuff. Anyway, so he had a lot to learn. He said he got, but he got through it. He did really well. He went back a few months later, he said, and he rewatched all the classes, which is, this is like pretty normal when you're learning new stuff. You like kind of have to revisit it a few months later. Like I have to do this too. Like I think this is like super normal. Um, and he said the second time through, it was really great. Just after that, he went and did like a boot camp. He said he didn't like the boot camp as much as the stuff because he's like, now I need to learn to program. Like this didn't teach me how to program. This taught me like Bitcoin. Now I know Bitcoin really well. I'm going to go learn to program so I can actually do stuff with the Bitcoin knowledge, right? And then he did so well, got the attention of like the Mutiny Wallet crew who like he was doing contributing to their like open source stuff. And so as the like, thank you, they gave him, they like got him a seat in the, the base of the Lightning class. How much do you need to know about programming to this to the eight class? I think it's like not a lot, but we do a lot of computer level things, right? Like, I don't know. So do you think, yeah, it's interesting because like in my dev journey, most of the stuff you use are like the higher level languages. So you don't actually even do much of like doing the the hex conversion stuff that you were doing was like the very low level. That was my first time. I was like, whoa, this is crazy. Yeah. But it seems like that actually might be, it's a gift and the curse, but because most engineers don't have to go that low, if you start that low, it seems like maybe there's actually a, a benefit to being just Bitcoin and like learning that stack because you can actually go from zero to productive or useful in the sense of like getting a grant or a job almost faster than if you like do the Code Academy and learn some of the basics and do that. Like, do you think that's directionally true? I'm, I'm going to say yes because I want it to be true. Um, like, <laughs> um, but I think like, I think like, there's a few times I run into devs. Like, so I got my start kind of in the HTTP world. And then I spent a lot of time in like the, the Android, like mobile dev world before I got into Bitcoin. So like I've met people whose whole careers have been in Bitcoin and stuff. And I would say like, 
they never had to spend time learning all that other stuff. So like, yeah, they like saved a bunch of time not having to learn all that like whatever like JavaScript stuff is. And they're able to like, yeah, go directly to making meaningful contributions because like the truth is, Jake, like there's so few people that really understand it at the protocol level that like, honestly, I like anyone who goes through a base 58 class, like the, the basic, the dev basics class. And like, I think like really understands what's going on. Like if you're able to get through that, you'll be able to write your own Bitcoin scripts from scratch and like have a good understanding of what you're doing. How many people who already work in Bitcoin say that they know how to do that? It's like pretty few, I think. Like, I think it's like, it's like, yeah, like, I think that the basics are like actually pretty basic. The problem is that most people haven't had like good introduction to them. Like there just hasn't been really good, like educational, like instructive materials to make it all make sense and make it seem like a thing that's really like accessible, right? But I think like the truth of it, it is, it, I, I think it, it is like actually like it's accessible. You don't have to be a genius. It's hard. But if someone shows you like where the tools are and how all the little pieces like fit together, you can like learn the basics really, you can learn the basics really well. And then, yeah, when you go out in the world, like you'll know the basics better than like almost anyone. And all of a sudden you'll be able to like have good questions to ask in BitDevs or like you'll be able to understand like what is an inscription doing? Like why are inscriptions so cool? Like where is like the witness data? You can like read inscription, like you will be able to like read inscription scripts after you've gone through like the Bitcoin developer basics is like, okay, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to promise promise that, but you should be able to, like, you should be able to go through the class on scripts. And this is just like the Udemy thing, just the, the class that they have in Udemy. And they should be able to go and look at an inscription script and be able to like know what tools to use to like inspect them, be able to like hopefully figure out what's going on inside that script. Right. And then maybe even like write your own. Uh, no, this is great. Uh, I'm hoping we at least attract one more new person to want to become a dev to this. I'm, it almost makes me want to shut this podcast down and just do this because it's such a big opportunity. And I will say, like, if you're focusing on the 80-20, like, the 20% of stuff is going to give me the 80, like, learning the Bitcoin stack is going to super over-index. Just as you said, like, there's just, there's not enough and there's few people that do it at a high caliber. And from my side as, as a VC, like, the amount of, money flowing into Bitcoin right now is insane and it's still a lagging indicator. Like money's being eyeballed right now. It's not really being deployed yet. And so yeah. a year from now, it's going to be pretty crazy, I think, from the, st the stuff I'm hearing on back channels of how much funding, which is a big one for people's security, that will be on Bitcoin, which still feel, I think people still feel like it's like you got to go to Spiral and get a grant or something to like- you. Sure. Yeah. But I feel like it's like, I feel like it's like if we could get more people into base 58 classes and just like through these like base 58 basics, like I feel like the like ideas people will be able to have and like the quality of projects that they'll be able to build and like contribute. So like you learn the basics and then you like pair that with whatever existing skills you have. Maybe that's like front end dev, maybe that's like, um, I don't know, maybe you're coming from like sports betting, but now you like kind of understand like what's going on in DLC is that it's just like such a smarter like ability to like understand what people are doing already. Like, I think it gives you a much better understanding of like maybe even as like a VC to like kind of, well, I, I, I can't talk to the, I don't really know how the VC thing works, but like in theory, like you, you get an idea of like what's going on and what these people are building and like, you're able to hopefully maybe find like a new interesting thing you can build because you have like these like ground level skills where you can just like take them in any direction you want, right? It's like, like it's not, you're not like pinned to like the, I'm not teaching you like how to build and like rust or something, right? Like it's not, I'm not like bidding you just for like the rust ecosystem or whatever. I'm like hopefully retooling people such that like the entire Bitcoin ecosystem is like available to them, hopefully. That's I love it. I love it. Okay, I want to start. We've breezed through like almost an hour. Uh, this has been a fantastic conversation. I'm curious, where are the biggest needs right now that you see in the ecosystem across kind of like all the different layers, if you will, or different pockets that people can build in? Yeah, this is a great question that like 
it depends on who you're talking to. And maybe I should like say the safe answer that's like I don't really know. I like don't feel like I've like I've been sort of like heads down and like running around going to conferences and like talking about education science that like the builder side I'm really not sure like just looking over at like the ordinal side though okay so like I've been like kind of looking into like making it ordinals like maybe doing some stuff in the ordinals protocol system so helping people figure out how to like do more ordinal stuff so I'm kind of just like I don't know looking at like the existing infrastructure that's available in the ordinals ecosystem um and like man i don't know just the number of people that really like understand how that works seems really small like a lot of the stuff that i feel like people are building over there it's just like not really like robust in like a way that's like gonna make it easier to like build cool stuff on top of it like i feel like like the infrastructure and ordinal like is like a huge maybe i'm wrong maybe the stacks people have like figured other people have booted from stacks are like solving this problem but like a lot of this stuff seems to be very closed source, so not like super open source ethos. And then like it doesn't it feels like like board as a project is like needs more like serious engineering like effort on it. That sounds weird. And hopefully like people are working on org, maybe they're doing a great job. And I don't want to get in trouble for like saying this, so like whatever. But like there's just some like basic stuff. Like a, a simple a simple example is like when I run like Ord as an indexer, maybe we're getting too much in the weeds of like how Ord works. But like when you're trying to like inscribe an ordinal, if you're using like the Ord tool, you like every time you run Ord, it has to like re-index like all the blocks that have been happening since the last time. So like as a user of this like command line tool, and like Ord is like the only piece of software that like numbers stats, right? Like there's no other like piece of infrastructure like tech that like does a good job of indexing stats like correctly right like that's like we all like bow down to like the word like what word says right it's like the single source of truth that's like a very important piece of infrastructural like technology for the whole ordinal inscription project right like but like when you try and use it as a tool like it's not there's no way to keep it like it's just really hard to like use as like a user like it, it needs like it needs it's like a piece of infrastructure that needs work or like there's just things that like could be done to it to make it such that it's a better platform as a piece of technology for other people to build on and it's like where is the where are the people that are doing that kind of work coming from like who's teaching people how to like enough so that they feel confident doing that kind of work like who's funding that like who sees that as infrastructure worth like investing in. And I think that that like is kind of kind of I mean that's the true case against I think across like the entire open source software like infrastructure like ecosystem, right? It's like who's funding these like basic tools that we all depend on. And it's like um where are the people coming from? Like if there's no money there, like who's gonna work on it? Like where are the smart engineers that are gonna be spending their time on it coming from? Like no, it's it's a good it's a good point because um, I'm very interested in ordinals and there's so much application layer stuff being built right now, and some infra, um, to make it easier to like work at the application layer. But as far as I know, the team that builds on Ord or whatever they call it is super small, super small, and so it's kind of like the amount of interest on Lightning. At least you know Lightning Labs is like building a robust like a lower layer and they're trying to make build out a good spec for taproot assets etc so that then when you go and deploy xyz thing at the application layer you know there's a whole like slew of team who've like tested it build it the right way um versus like the or i could see it like or being it's putting the cart before the horse where it's like build 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 get users etc and then it's like but we forgot this one thing and it's happened where it's like there's an indexer error where like it's off by one which throws off a bunch of indexes stuff. And so it's like, is that, do I have the millions of description? Is the homie next to me have it? Like, blue memories? So, and it becomes like a ethical question. Like, what do we do? Uh, and then, yeah. And now you have cursed inscriptions. So they're like, they're, they're, they're counting backwards is how they solve the problem. So it's like, right. you know, maybe going a little slower might have solved it, or maybe it's just the nature of building these kind of things. And 
I think they've been creatively solving problems as they come up. I think that's like definitely a strength of that ecosystem. But I think like, you know, like getting funding and like finding people to like, finding like good people that like have the like curiosity and drive and like, um, you know, like consistency to be able to contribute to those infrastructure projects over the long term and like hard i think right like that's just that's sort of what phase 58 is hoping to like get more people in the ecosystem like you know maybe we, like you know 100 people into the ecosystem or at least get them through the class right and then maybe of that like half end up finding jobs or figuring out how to be in it long term and maybe of that like 10 people are really the sort of person that really wants to do infrastructure level projects so that's what they care about right but like i think it's like you know it's like how do we get more people in i don't know yeah makes sense okay i want to start to close this down uh but one kind of like i'll put a, a call to action and just watch it a tf btc plus plus because there's something about doing things in person that it's just way 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 better like i like working from home i don't have to travel and i like, get stuck, stuck in traffic but i also start to hate my home and so there's like you just miss people and btc plus plus as like a very babyish dev was really cool to be able to like be around people, I can choose my workshop. If I have a problem, like the teacher can obviously help, but I don't have to break your attention. The person next to me probably already figured it out. So let me go up some elbows with this person. So this is basically a call to action that if you're hearing this and you're loving everything you've heard so far, go to a BTC plus plus event. It sounds like you do it yearly at Austin, but you also have one coming up soon. Talk about BTC yeah, plus plus a bit. So we try like Bitcoin plus plus of like you know, it's like a dev conference built like builders and dev educators, right? Like we care about people showing up who want to like learn and participate and get an opportunity to like, like one of the like, you know, the thing I'm trying to do with them is get people with cool, interesting projects there so they can tell everyone who's there about what they're doing and teach them about kind of like what they're thinking and working on, right? So that's like one of the things we try and get in people that come talk and teach. And we also try and make sure that there's lots of opportunities for you to like get to know people who are already working on projects, who wants help, who needs help, who's got ideas, like that sort of thing, right? So we're really trying to get all the right people in the room. And then when you're there, like the one in Austin, we kind of did something new this time where we like basically did like boot camp. Like it was an in-day, in-person boot camp. You like had like a, a cohort of buddies that you were like going to all the same classes with, kind of like going back to grade school, right? Of like for one day. The next day, we kind of turned you loose and we're like, here's all the different talks and like technical talks that you can hang out and go figure out what you want to learn more about. Now you kind of have some grounding and you've like touched it, right? So like if we try to make it like super hands-on, super good for people who are both experienced as well as like yourself, like new urge to like the data stuff, right? Where like you, you know, like it's, we're not assuming too much when you come. Um, and then making sure that everyone like gets their hands dirty while you're there, right? So they're like, we're trying to make them like really like, you know, in-person learning experience and participating and like building as much as they are like come and meet and learn from people like who's doing cool new projects, what's the latest and all up. So the one we did in Austin in April was all about layer two. So we had all kinds of interesting layer two protocol people there talking about their project. We had uh, Paul Stork from the drive team guy there. We had a couple of roll-up people. Um, we had Barack talked about ARC for the first time ever. It wasn't even called ARC then. It's like, you know, world premiere of the ARC protocol was at Bitcoin Plus Plus at the Layer 2 conference. Um, we had the guy talking about liquid, Bitcoin stuff. So it was like really just supposed to be like a showcase as well. So anyways, like, yeah, you should definitely come, especially if like you want to just like, you know, maybe you've been following along Bitcoin for a while and you just don't know how to get involved. Be like, take a base 58 Bitcoin developers class on Udemy and then show up to the next Bitcoin plus plus and find some projects, meet some people, get your hand like, in the projects. Um, we're doing one in Berlin, October 6th and 7th. This is going to be all about this project called Nix Bitcoin. So it's kind of more like the DevOps side of projects. Like, how do you set up a project? How are you, like, how do we get, if you've never used Nix before, hopefully this will be like a really hands-on opportunity to try out using a Nix and developing software and deploying software using Nix. It's kind of like a Docker competitor, sort of, but like more fancy than that. Um, 
So that's like the, that's the goal. Or if you like have a project, we're going to maybe hopefully teach you how to take your project and Nixify it so that you can deploy it on a Nix machine really easily. So just shortening that loop between developing software and getting it out like smoothly. How do we make deploying software and shipping software just like easier and using this like cool Nix thing? So that's in, that's in October and hopefully there'll be lots of workshops. And we're, like the speaker lineup is incredible. We have some of like the best Nix people coming to like, and they're super excited about talking about Nix and teaching people how to use it. Cause like everyone who I know that touches Nix loves it. So like, it's this like big, big fan, you know, it's kind of like the um, fan celebration. And then we're working on maybe doing a Buenos Aires Bitcoin plus plus at the end of February. I need to like kind of get the final details on that down and like, it would probably be in Buenos Aires last weekend in February, but that's like T TBD. And then we just signed on. So like for Austin, if you want to come back to Austin, we just signed on, finalized the space. So we're going to be in Austin May 1st to 4th next year. So I still haven't put out like any, I need to send out like, you know, the early bird tickets and like start putting up some promo flyers for it. We just locked the space in last week. So this is like brand new alpha, alpha, alpha. draw of like uh, the next Bitcoin plus plus. But I think the theme, because I like picking themes because it's fun. I don't know. I like it. I like it. Who doesn't like a good theme? Um, the one in Austin next year is going to be all about scripts, I think. So Bitcoin scripts. So we'll be mm -hmm. really talking all kinds of interesting covenants and like, I don't know, weird wild script projects that people are doing with Bitcoin. Very cool. Very cool. Okay. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, the thing that's pretty cool about the events too is like, you see the familiar faces, um, you know, like, Although it did shock me that like Taj, the like lightning creator guy, he he was like, I'm like, dude, that guy's, you know who that is? That's that guy. And, the, and we're just like, he just treated like a regular dude. So it's just like a bunch of like-minded people. Um, but you know, sit next to someone, you're like, this guy's just hacking away or whatever. And then like, I'm sitting next to Paul from Mutiny. But I didn't know that. Like I didn't talk to him really. He, I just, I'm like, I don't want to disturb him. He looks very busy. He's doing something he's very involved in. Uh, so you never know who you're going to rub shoulders with. Like, it's super, it's super cool that all these different people who are building these super interesting things that you'll see announced on Twitter, then you put a face to it and they're just like super down to earth, willing to help, all that. Um, so yeah, I can't recommend it enough. It was a great experience. I love the hands-on. I'm, I'm big. I hate courses for the most part. They're too much theory and not enough hands-on. And day one was perfect for that. It's like, you can't leave without getting a replica account. Where are you going? Give me your laptop. And then... You're like doing some basic work. So that, so that was great. Um, so yeah, this has been a fantastic convo. Any any closing thoughts or things that I didn't ask that you wanna you wanna tell the audience? Um, we're doing our first ever Bitcoin plus I'm sorry, base fifty eight taproot class. So um I'm one thing I'm working on on base fifty eight is trying to get I like a whole backlog of really awesome curriculum that I want to make available to people and start doing classes around. Um we're gonna we're gonna start with it as in person, even though it's like kind of I think harder for people to get to and show up for. It's gonna be so we're pairing it up with the tab comp. So if you're going to tab comp or if you haven't heard about tab comp, I'm gonna be there. We're gonna do a base fifty eight protocol village. So there'll be like a whole like programming around protocols, what they are, how to use them. It'll be super hands on, um, hopefully very educational because I love doing that kind of thing. Um, and then before it, the Monday, so it starts kind of on like, I want to say, I think it starts like Wednesday, the Monday, Tuesday, maybe Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I forget, before Tavacom in Atlanta. We're going to be at the Atlanta Bit Dev, not the Atlantic Bit Lab, doing a taproot, first upper base 58 taproot class. It's going to be some theory, but a lot of hands on. Hopefully, we're going to learn about like what taproot is, how TapScript works. You'll get to like do some programming examples, so like hands on like exercises of actually building your first ever tap scripts, learning how to spend them. And we're also hopefully going to be doing um, music to and frost signatures. So you'll get to learn like not only about how Taproot and TapScript works, but these two new um, really kind of more advanced ways of doing multi-seg that work really well in Taproot. And so hopefully in two days, we'll be doing a lot of like hands-on, get to understand Taproot really, really well. So that um, you can go out and, I don't know, build the next Taproot business. Understand what the top script or Taproot assets, like how does that protocol work? Well, you'll like have enough understanding of what Taproot is doing that you'll be like a, 
more informed consumer, hopefully, of any of the new Taproot like projects that come out. You'll 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 get it. You'll be able to read it. Is the is the help? Um, so yeah, maybe check that out. I love it. I love it. Yeah, I'm gonna try. I'm I'm trying to find a way to get to TabConf. I I definitely wanna wanna hit that up. Um, yeah. If you're a newbie and you're hearing this, like, don't get concerned about the words Moosig, Frost, Nix, all this stuff. Like, it'll come in time. You'll figure it out. Uh, we've already made the case. Like, huge opportunity, and we need you. So please go to Base Fifty Eight, learn some stuff, and start building on Bitcoin. Uh. But yeah, Lisa, this has been a fantastic, fantastic conversation. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, Jake. Thank you for listening this far into the episode. If you found it enjoyable, please do like, subscribe on whatever platform that you're listening on. YouTube does me a huge favor to like and subscribe. Find me on Twitter at Jake Blockchain. Show me some love. I reply to every DM. And if you are a Bitcoin builder that is kind of at the forefront of building new use cases, whether it's L1, Lightning, Stacks, Rootstock, Rollups, Ordinals, BRC20, uh, I want to talk to you. So when I'm not doing this podcast, I am the sourcing partner at the Bitcoin Frontier Fund, where we invest in Bitcoin startups at the earliest stages, give you access to whatever you need, whether it's legal, product fundraising help, as well as capital. So love to talk to you. You can hit me up again. Find me on Twitter at Jake Blockchain and uh, shoot me a DM. Uh, I'll read everything. Love to talk to you guys. All right, peace. Welcome to Built on Bitcoin. I know that things don't always go your way, but I'll be right here. I've been trying to figure out a way to make it out, make it out, cause I don't think about everything going wrong.